When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? Samson Folk here with the Raptors Weekly Podcast on time and on target. And the episode this week, I think, will be really great because the Raptors just had, honestly, a hell of a week. Seven days, five games, and five wins. And here to talk about it, he's a story editor over at TSN. He's a colleague of mine at Raptors Republic. And my God, I can I cannot speak with words to the quality of his writing all year. He's been doing so much. You, you obviously, if you're on Raptors Republic, you'll recognize this name, you'll recognize his work and hopefully his take. So Jamar Hines, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good, Samson. Thanks for the uh, kind words. And um, for you out there, uh, Samson was the one that actually brought me over to Raptors Republic. So, you know, I got to give him all the kudos. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm searching. I'm like a scout, right? Hunting for, <laughs> for great prospects. And you're the first overall pick. But okay, let's <laughs> let's talk about the, the week that was. Five games, five wins. I, I take it you watched all the games. So I'm wondering, like, what are your, your biggest takeaways right from the jump? My biggest takeaway is that there was, like, through all the wins, I'm talking about mostly the starters, but every starter had a big part somewhere down the stretch because all these games have gone down the stretch and on both sides of the ball, you know, whether it's the Pascal double block or OG making daggers, Trent making daggers, you know, everybody's like Scotty on the offensive boards, which basically saved two games. It's like everybody's played a little part and um, we all know the issues with the bench, but this is a, turning out to be an incredible starting lineup and they're starting to find their group together and it's been really fun to watch. Okay. That's actually a great point to frame it in that sense that everybody had their moments. OG, the block, the two blocks on Trey or the the three pointers, the step back on DeMar, the Mm -hmm. three pointer in his face, Scotty, the tip in and the foul on the tip in Gary Trent, just blowing everything up with, you know, an incredible shooting on Pascal like 21 points in a quarter and the double block, as you mentioned, and Fred in that triple overtime game, you know, just hitting right. like these 27 foot threes or something like that. Do you have a right. favorite week long performance or anything like that? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough one because everybody, everybody's done something. Um, I don't know if it's a, I'm just going to, I don't, I can't put it together to a singular performance, but just the way that Gary's been in Fuego um, over the last week has been insane. It's been really fun to watch. So, and then, you know, obviously Portland just makes their trade, uh, traded Norman Powell to the Clippers. It's just like, wow, here we have Gary Trent going off and it's like, clearly we won this deal. And it's just, I don't know. It's, 
I don't know which one of his performances was my favorite because he's dropped around the same numbers in, in every all of them except the um the last two games, the Chicago and the Atlanta game. But I, I would say anything that Gary Trent's done is probably my favorite. Where where were you on Gary Trent coming into the season? Because for for the audience, I have to be like completely transparent. I was much lower, I think, on Gary Trent than quite a few people. And it's because I thought this guy probably isn't one of the true elite shooters in the NBA. So the rim pressure mattered a lot to me and the defense mattered a lot to me. And then you get like Kem Birch who at the start of the season said, I've never seen somebody be bad at defense. And then all of a sudden good at defense. So Gary Trent to his credit turned the defense around really quickly, but the offensive decision-making stayed very similar, except he's just shooting the hell out of the ball. Like, He's cemented himself, at least for this season, as one of the most talented shooters out there. So I'm very curious what you thought about him coming into this year. And are you in the same position as me where you've been proven wrong or or are you being proven right? Well, I watched a lot of Gary Trent in Portland and I knew that he could shoot like this because, uh, you know, I tend to do a lot of um, for TSN. I tend to do a lot of West Coast games because I work late. So I saw a lot of Trent, you know, I. I I knew he was a microwave. I didn't know he could defend like this. Cause uh, remember when, I think when we made the trade, I feel like Powell was touted as the better defender cause people kept calling him a two-way player. I don't really think he's a two-way player but that was kind of his reputation. And people were thinking we were the ones that took the step back defensively. I wasn't sure about that. I didn't think he, I thought he was just an average defender, but just to see the way he's hounded people this season, I, it, it's kind of blown my mind. I did not know that we were getting, the, like when you put Fred and Trent together in the backcourt, just the way they, they're both pests defensively. I, I did not see that coming in Trent. The scoring doesn't surprise me. He's a better mid-range sh- uh, shooter than I thought he was because I, I basically just watched him shoot a lot of threes. So the way he can create shots off the bounce, you know, the little step backs around like the 15-foot area, I didn't really know he had that in his game. So I would say the mid-range game and the defense has kind of surprised me a little bit. I always liked the trade, but those two things have been better than I thought. And by the way, while you were asking that question, I thought about my favorite moment. It was the, um, it was the Trent third quarter in, um, in Atlanta where you made the five threes in a row and hit the buzzer beater, but basically took over that game. That would be my favorite moment. That was, that was awesome. It was, it was funny. I had a tweet. Uh, Cause he started out that game three for 11 in the right. first half. I had a tweet. I was like, Trent can give you a very aesthetically pleasing three for 11. I, I saw that. I yeah. saw that. And uh, somebody, and then obviously he went seven for 11, the rest of the game, I believe, um, which hell yeah, like incredible shooting performance. And, you know, the way he moved off ball in that game, that adjustment he made, I really loved. And that's also been kind of something, the start of his streak of really good games was obviously lifted up by that incredible mid-range shooting where Blake Murphy and I talked about this. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, and Seth Curry are the only players who have a similar volume and a similar percentage. So that's that's the elitist company you could possibly be in. So, at, you know, as you're saying, I didn't know he was that type of guy. I mean, who could have possibly known? That's incredible mm-hmm. company to keep. But for him to make the adjustment, not to be just like, okay, going after his own shot like he did in the first half of that game, 
but then to start moving off ball, they run like staggers, pin-ins, pin-downs for them, flares, all the type of stuff you run for shooters to get them looks. And he just started hitting all of them. And then obviously that culminated with uh, the the pull-up three from like, what, 28, 29 feet. And then somebody commented under my post said, that was for you, eat it. And you know what? <laughs> you got to eat it. I just, yeah. I just love the way that... Um, they he's so much more comfortable than obviously you know last season he just got thrown here and we're in tampa and everything so it's just like because i remember last season when he just got here and some of the sh some of the shots he would take just like the shot selection because then again remember i didn't know that you know he could he was as good a mid-range shooter as he is so some of these shots he would take is like dude oh my gosh this is your shot selection i i did not see this coming I'm like, oh boy here we go but <laughs> it, it's just how you mentioned how they all the screen usage and everything that they use to get them open it's just like it's just everything is so much more in rhythm where it's rare now where I see him take a shot and I'm like uh, that's not the greatest shot like I, I'm pretty much like you know what you have the green light do what you want mm -hmm. well yeah that's that's the interesting part about Gary Trent Jr and I think it's good that we're focusing on him to start because he's a huge part of this week but when you look at his, his best year by the efficiency numbers was his second year because that's the year he kind of popped off and that's the year where they had the bubble run and he was just right. like shooting the hell out of the ball and he was shooting a lot of threes. And then the next year, he has this huge bump in usage. And when he was with the Raptors last year, he shot under 40% from the floor and 35% from three. Part of that is that he was asked to freelance on ball a lot. The Raptors were going through the Tampa season. Guys were sitting, guys were resting. Pascal had to get surgery. The team was just kind of bereft of any type of, I don't know, supplementary help. And it's been kind of amazing to see <laughs> Gary Trent take those steps as, you know, a creator off ball. The pull-up three is in a good spot, not like the elitist spot, but in a really good spot. And the mid-range footwork, I think, is really, really solid. Yeah. I'd written about this when he joined the team because I did a bit of a deep dive on, you know, his footwork and his shooting mechanics and how he might be defended with the Raptors. And it was pretty clear at that point that he had really great footwork when he was getting into his combos. But I think more than anything, I've just been really surprised at how he, quickly he does get into them and how comfortable he is getting into them against different types of defenders. That's what makes a move really good. Obviously, most people who listen to this play basketball. Most people who talk about basketball play basketball, or at least I hope they would at some point. And when you work on something in practice, applying it in a game is so much more difficult. And you can see guys like OG, for example. OG is a guy who you can see work through the progressions of what combo he wants to use. And he's very methodical and slow in doing so. He's a big, strong guy, so he can still get it off. And we're seeing him work through stuff. But Gary Trent Jr. is very dynamic in getting to his combos. And the balance he has and the footwork and the shooting touch, I just it's been incredible. And that's that's where the biggest boon for his mid-range game comes from, I think. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you on, on that um part. When you when you talk about OG. Yeah, there are, I think he's still working through the fluidity of that. I actually think it's gotten better as of late because I think, I think that was one of the Atlanta games as well, or I'm not entirely sure, but there was, yeah, it was the Atlanta game. Remember the game, uh, second quarter, he caught the ball at like near the wing area at the three point line and he just had the smoothest 
fake and hesitation, um, drove um, Clint Capella off his feet, made like a little elbow jumper. Mm-hmm. He had he had a few of those moves that game where it's just like this is the most fluid I've seen you shoot like in terms of like creating your own shot off the dribble. So that's starting to come around as well too. Yeah, it's with OG. You you rarely worry about the off ball stuff translating into good stuff like screening, spot up shooting, attacking closeouts has improved immensely. And mostly what everybody's and why people the commentary around him from the fan base has been a little bit lower offensively than it was at the start of the season, especially after he was shooting like, was it like 50% on pull-up threes in preseason? Mm-hmm. Um, you look at a guy who, when he's on ball, th- that process is slower. But when he's off ball, I think he's so good at recognizing what's available to him. And if he's comfortable getting to a mid-range shot, that makes the the closeouts, I think, a little bit more dangerous for other teams. That's, that's definitely an encouraging part of it. I, I guess we could talk about then, he's fallen over a few times. And there's been yeah. a mixed bag as far as I think above the break creation using screens, isolation and stuff like that. But then also adversely, the Raptors really in, I would say the post have leaned on OG more. And Nick nurse had a quote where he was saying that he gets worried that OG isn't getting enough touches in the game. And they kind of, they will, you know, rework the offense in the middle of a quarter to kind of make sure that he gets his touches in so he keeps progressing, keeps getting looks and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm curious what you think of the above-the-break initiation versus the post uh, the post work. The above-the-break stuff, I think, like you said, it's, it's a lot – it's kind of – at this point, it's still kind of a little bit, like, robotic, and you can see that he's thinking through what he wants to do. In the post – Especially in that um Chicago overtime game, you know, he he was starting to find cutters late, and obviously there he's more comfortable. He can use his strength as long as he doesn't use it too much and pick up offensive fouls. Because I remember when he was first expanding his offensive game, he would pick up a lot of offensive fouls, just you know, bowling people over and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, at this point, I think he's definitely more comfortable in the in the post area above the above the break. I feel like as the game progresses, he starts to become more comfortable in that area. It's like he's not going to start off doing that type of stuff. It's just like it's like he has to feel the game out. And then as he feels the game out, you can kind of see him like be more creative when it comes to above the break and using screens or, you know, using some of his little moves that he's developing to set up the shot. But the, the post is definitely more natural to him right now. Mm-hmm. It allows him to use like his inherent advantages, which is his right. incredible strength. So that's been nice to see. What do you, you know, this is a good question. I think for anybody who watches basketball is what advantages do you see players surrender? Like you see like, oh, they had something they could have taken advantage of there, but they didn't. And they settled for something. And OG, I find on handoffs, especially will not turn the corner as much as he should And that's just like, that's an advantage thing. That's something a lot of players do in development. This is what scouts look for is like, how quick is the processing speed after the ball hits your hand? Like, how do you attack closeouts? Do you shoot as soon as the ball gets to you? Or do you have to hold it and look and then get the ball set in your hands and stuff like that? And OG, as far as getting the ball off handoffs, I think is slower than he should be. And then also like 
he gives up on drives maybe more than he should. But obviously, you know, as you provided the extra context to that is this is a guy trying not to get like four offensive fouls a game. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious what you think about OGs as far as like putting the pedal to the metal, what you've thought about his ability to get downhill and stuff like that. I think that um, when he's coming off screens, it's okay. But for him to just try to do it on his own, he's not there yet. That's where he kind of plays out of control and especially when he first started to expand his game and that's when you would barrel into people but if it's like a set play and he's coming off and he's coming off a screen going downhill I think it's actually worked pretty well um I remember well last was it last year yeah it was last year before COVID started killing us um it was a game in Milwaukee where he was going downhill a lot and they couldn't do anything about it um I can't remember if Giannis played in that game or not but that was one of the first games where I saw OG go downhill on a consistent basis. And he was finishing in a variety of ways where it didn't look like the most fluid finish, but he was so str- He's so strong, obviously. And you, and you just, you're just making contact layups, but yeah, in terms of him creating off the dribble that and going downhill, that's still a work in progress. But as long as he's coming off a screen, I think it works pretty, pretty works pretty well. There's basketball philosophies. Everybody understands mm-hmm. that. Different people think about basketball in different ways. And OG and Gary Trent Jr. is a really interesting um, intersection because OG is the guy who is remarkably unpolished. Like, <laughs> there, there is not a lot of polish to his offensive game. I would say his inherent strengths make it so that he's very, very good at difficult things. Like you said, right. there are times where he's unstoppable getting to the rim. And this is a guy who has a below average handle for his position or his archetype, let's say. And this is a guy who also shoots the hell out of the ball at the rim because he's so strong. And with those limitations with the handle, he gets to the rim at a decent clip and he finishes at the rim really well. So he's providing rim pressure while also being way behind on this developmental curve of dribbling. And then you have a guy like Gary Trent Jr., who is all polish right now. Like offensively, his game is just 100% polish. People love watching him for that reason. It's not clunky. It's smooth. The energy transfers on these step backs, like he's getting to his spot. Hard contest, no contest, whatever. He looks great. Going up from there, what do you do? Like he's already the mid-range shooter that Booker, Durant, and Curry are this year, right? And so when you're looking at these two guys, you say, okay, this guy has all the polish and this guy has none of it. You don't have to bet on either one of them, right? Because they both play on the Raptors. But I'm interested, and this maybe is a tough question, with that in mind, polish versus non-polish, who are, who are you most excited about going forward? Offensively, let's say. The great thing is that obviously being on the same team, they do things very, very differently where, you know, Trent can get whatever he wants in the step back game and off the dribble and stuff like that. But when he drives, it's still kind of like a little bit awkward. Some of his finishes when he's driving going downhill, still a little bit awkward to me. Whereas OG is like the opposite in that sense. Um, But just the way that Trent can take over a game and what is he like 23? Yeah, 23. Yeah. And he, he's still, I mean, his offensive game looks so polished and he's still obviously 
finding himself in that sense. And just the way that you could just give him the ball and say, hey, you know, it's like six seconds left on the shot clock, find a good shot. And he's just capable of doing that. And it looks so fluid. I would say I'm more excited about Gary's game offensively. I think he's a guy that can average like uh, at his peak. I think he could average somewhere around 23, 24 a game if he had to. I don't think I don't think um, we would want him to do that because we have a lot of uh, options offensively. But say, you know, we ran into some misfortune and there's a bunch of guys out and all of a sudden he's like the number one or number two option offensively. I think he could carry the team for a while offensively, just using the bag that he currently has. That, well, that's the interesting part, right? Is that the, the polish is there. He can, he's gone on already. Like we don't even have to say, could he carry a team for a certain amount of time? We've, we've seen games this past week and even a little bit before that, where that was happening, where he was just mm-hmm. shooting the hell out of the ball. And so it's interesting, right? Is that this is a, a jump shot, like a heavy jump shot variance player but the variance hasn't been that high because he shoots the hell out of it. And so this is a guy, OG and Gary basically right now average both like 18 points per game. One guy gets to the rim and does so really well, I would say. And the other guy is really great on the pull-up while the other, like they, they are complete opposites currently. Like OG gets to the rim at a decent clip, finishes there well. Gary takes a lot of pull-ups, but... He is incredible pulling up and they're both completely the inverse of one another. And so I'm, I'm so interested to see how they develop into the future. Ken Gary, a guy who never gets the rim, like he's in the bottom, I think he's like eighth or ninth percentile in as far as rim frequency and especially like relative to usage, but with how smooth he is, with how crisp he is, his footwork, his balance, all that kind of stuff. Is this a guy who can kind of grift his way to the free throw line that would really interest me is like, is that the progression that comes for his game or will he be able to get defenders off balance enough that he can get to the rim a little bit more, or maybe his floater becomes even more potent. Those are the developments I'm looking for from Gary that will take his game to the next level. Because like, realistically, how can he shoot that much better? <laughs> like, right. that's what I mean. It was like, OG with the pull up. I'm sitting here like, well, he's shooting like what? 28%, 27%. That can get better. Any anybody can get better at that, but Gary, I mean, he's just already such a good shooter. I think he's at forty percent on the season from three now, after being at like thirty-seven this this latest run. So I I can't wait to see what Gary develops to assist his shooting and to help get him get it off more often. And then I also I just am incredibly intrigued to see if OG uh, can develop a handle and a balance because he's young, although. He's one year older than Gary. So, yeah, it is an interesting bet, I think, just as far as basketball philosophy is like, are you betting on OG's handle or are you betting on Gary's ability to, you know, get to the line or something like that? Because those are the two aspects of their game that allow them to transcend up these levels of scores. Yeah, I find it to be like those two players being on the same team and doing things so differently. I just love it. You know what Gary could add to his game? I could see Gary add into his game a little bit um, is because of how good a shooter he is, especially when he gets into those mid-range spots. What about that uh, What about that DeMar pump fake that just gets people up in the air and just draws fouls? Because mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think he would actually be pretty good at that as opposed to finding a way to draw fouls, go into the rim. Because 
that that's still that's still obviously an awkward part in his game. But I could totally see him starting to, to get that pump fake thing going. I oh, would yeah. want him to totally rely on that because, you know, we saw DeMar's progression with that where they're, especially in the playoffs where they don't make as many of those type of calls, which is like, okay. And Lowry used to do it a lot too. And then he kind of scaled back where it's like, okay, you guys can't just keep pump faking all the time and trying to drop out. Like that doesn't work all the time. But for like here and there, I can totally see Gary implementing that into his game. Yeah. I, I should have been, I should have been more clear. I don't, I don't expect him to be like going up at the bucket and like meeting guys and like, boom, taking the bounce and like getting to the free throw yeah, line. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely, you, you laid it out perfectly. Like the DeMar pump fake, the, the step back pump, maybe step through like right. that. There's no reason that shouldn't be in Gary's bag. And as we've seen, players can test that shot. And of course, Gary, he's such a gunner. He does not care about pump fakes. Like I, I, <laughs> I know, I know. You, Gary, yeah, you, <laughs> you would have, you would have to like really drill that until it's like, hey, man, you can get your defender off balance this way. I was like, why do I have to do that when I could just shoot over them anyway? Yeah, well, <laughs> he's such a talented shooter, right? He can adjust the arc on his shot based on like how the contest is there. He's like, oh, I'll just shoot a little bit higher. It's like yeah, when you exactly. can get to the line, and I like Gary exudes a lot of confidence. So I wonder if you tell him like. Well, it's a higher points per possession if you get to the free throw line. If he just looks at you, you know what I mean? Like, come on, dude, let me let me stroke it. I think that's you know, uh, you know who you know who had to be convinced to do that. Um, Steve Kerr had to convince Steph to do that a lot, like a few years ago, because Steph was the type of guy who would just like he'd rather fake and sidestep and just get a clean look rather than fake and draw a foul. So it was like Steve Kerr used to drill that in Curry and say, hey, man, you could get to the line more if you just draw the foul and not, you know, sidestep and stuff like that. So for, for guys who can kind of like shoot off any angle, it's just like they rather take the clean shot that they can take as opposed to drawing contact on the perimeter. Well, that's the Pretty thing. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, that's the thing, right, too, is like you have a shooter like Steph Curry or a shooter like Gary Trent Jr. Imagine telling these guys not to shoot the basketball when they have made obscene amounts of money and Gary will go on to make way more because of how they shoot the basketball. And you say like, let's, let's do a little bit of trickery. Let's do some grifting when their game is so pretty and you could just mm -hmm. watch it like that. Um, let's talk about Pascal Siakam then. Sure. It, you know, all NBA second team 2019, 20 as the Raptors were taking off has had a hodgepodge of problems like with how he was able to play basketball in Toronto during the lockdown, not having access to anything, shoulder surgeries, COVID long layoffs, the whole deal. And then like even just having a fan base, at least partially be very, very sour on him for a period of time. Now coming some, back. Some still are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it's crazy. Yeah. And that's, there's obviously players get talked about and players get talked about in trade situations. Players get talked about in all types of scenarios, but Pascal certainly within the fan base had a negative um, overtone to the commentary of his game for a long time. But especially since if we look at, since he came back from COVID November 28th, <laughs> 23, six and 9.5 basically um, with He's been the best defender on the team during that run, I think. Mm -hmm. And he, he is not infallible defensively. He makes mistakes. Sometimes he switches off for a possession and a guy, he'll get back cut or something like that. But he's just been so damn good. And the all-NBA player 
from two years ago looks like he's dwarfing that. He looks like a much better player as far as control, impact, like being able to affect the game as a guy with the ball a lot and being able to manipulate and navigate a defense. I've I've just been so impressed. So I'm I'm curious what you've thought of this run for him. Oh, this is hands down the best I've ever seen Pascal play. And the only thing that you could say when you compare 29, I mean, 2019, 2020 Siakam to now is that he was a more consistent three-point shooter and he was taking more three-point shots. Right now he's taking like half the shots that he would take uh, that season from three. It's like, I think he took like over six a game and now it's like down to three, but uh, everything else, like his biz rage game is miles ahead better than what it was two years ago. Cause he was still starting to develop that a, a few years ago. And he would actually, he'd be better, you know, with the drives and the spin moves, you know, you'd see that a lot more frequently. Now he can kind of face up and, you know, kind of like size you up from like 18 feet and just shoot over you. No problem. So that's been an aspect of his game where it's just like, okay, I don't have to go all the way to the rim to try or try to do all the the spin moves every single possession, which is still a good move, by the way, that caught a lot of um, trolling for I, I don't know why. But now he can mix things up so much better. And obviously he's developed way more as a, as a playmaker, which is actually – so I know he had a little bit of a quote-unquote – down season last last uh year in tampa but that was the thing that really started to progress like he's at uh his um, ability to just see the floor and you even saw what which game was it i think it was the charlotte game where basically he was the point guard it was like spicy pg (laughs) (laughs) and yeah i think he had 12 assists that game so it's just like there hasn't been a real weak spot in his game, especially over this last month and a half where he's literally the Swiss army knife of the team. And obviously he would be an all-star if um, he didn't miss the first little portion of the season. I don't think, because Adam Silver hasn't named a replacement yet for KD, has he? No. Okay. I don't, I wouldn't bet on him getting it because I'm just trying to put myself in Adam Sil- in Adam Silver's mind. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like he's still more of like the business type of guy where he's like, okay, the Raptors got their all-star. Their market's going to be interested in this game. You know, I feel like he would give Charlotte an all-star instead. I re- like, I don't know, like LaMelo or somebody. I feel like he would lean that way because they have a similar record and they don't have an all-star. <laughs> And just to keep that market engaged, I think he would throw them a bone as opposed to giving the Raptors a second all-star. So I don't, I don't think he's going to get that. But obviously, his chances of being an all-NBA player again, it's, it's, right, it's right there. And I don't really see him taking a step back. I think this is the Siakam you're going to see for the rest of the season. And the way he's playing defensively as well, uh, the rim protection that you've seen going down the stretch, whether I mentioned before the the two blocks on Jimmy or the other Miami game where, you know, Bam was kind of torching Scotty. So they put Pascal on him. And you know, there's that one possession where Bam is trying to like do all these moves in the, um, in the, in the high post area and Siakam wasn't biting for any of them. It's just the all round game. It's just, 
<laughs> you, you kind of run out of words of how great he's been lately. Mm-hmm. It's well, it's really interesting the three point shot, right? As it comes and as it goes. I, I wrote yeah. about this. It's a piece called Pascal Siakam and Divergent Progression. Is that you never know how a player is going to develop. Development will always surprise you, and even if you know you get some things right on the margins, it'll be different. And for Pascal to in 2019-20, take two and a half pull-up threes a game. That That's like an absurd pull-up rate, by the way. He's taking 0.3 a game now. And oh, wow. so he's eight or nine times less likely to pull up from three than he was during his All-NBA season. And he's still able to manipulate defenses without that aspect of his game. And also, I don't know, I don't know how real that shooting was. Because he shot 34% on almost three pull-up threes a game. That's that's better than Fred this year. So it like and pull up pull up shooting is not easy. And he just I don't know how he did it, but he came into that season and made it work. But he's also twice as likely to shoot a pull up from inside the arc this year as he was during that 2019-20 season. And he's shooting 10% better on two point pull ups. And that's just you saw what he did with Capella when Capella tried to you know play isolation defense with him. Capella started running back towards the rim once Pascal got the edge and Pascal just gave him that little forearm shiver and stepped back to like what 11 feet. And that shot's really easy. That's a, that's a very, very controlled quality two point pull up for him. And that's been the coolest part is that those shots for him used to be push shots after getting an assist from somebody like short roll or flash to the middle, a Corey cut, a Wade cut, whatever. Right. And a push shot with his great touch. Now this is a guy who's controlling how dig downs affect him. He's controlling how the help side and his primary defenders work on him. And he's getting to these spots on his own and then clearing out space. That's really, really impressive. And then when you at the, like the interface of, Oh, this guy's an incredible passer. I I tweeted about it, but it's really crazy that he gave Fred Van Vliet a standstill layup. Fred Van Vliet is shorter than me. Fred Van Vliet is like (laughs) 5'10", 5'11". And I got to tell you, man, for a guy that short to catch the ball in the charge circle and be able to go up means that you just drew so much attention, especially since they ran, you know, they ran an empty side pick and roll together and Fred backed out of it. And then Pascal went into isolation and Fred's defender just came right over. That's a lot of gravity. And then, yeah, he, he's getting doubled on over 30% of his offensive possessions. Like, teams really, really care about when Pascal has the ball, and it just hasn't mattered. You brought up the Hornets game, and, you know, point Pascal is just, it's been so much fun to watch. And given that fact that he's been toggling different aspects of his game, because imagine how frustrating it would be to be on this star, like this ascendant starward turn where you start shooting 34% on pull-up threes. You're pulling almost three a game. It's like, this is a part of my game. Defenses have to respect it. And then, boom, that's gone. And you have to find new ways to adjust and new ways to succeed in everything. His resiliency in developing and working as an NBA player is so crazy to me. And it, it really puts to shame all the commentary about why did this guy stop? Like he stopped working. He got the max contract and he stopped working. He stopped developing all the commentary that came after the bubble and that kind of stuff. It's just, he's developed in such an interesting way. And it isn't like any other wing 
Like they tried to make him into a wing and say, play like a wing. Now he's just this point forward-ish weirdo player who is just incredible. You bring up a great point about the short roll. I totally forgot about how much he was used in that aspect because now I'm even like my mind is flashing back to some of those uh, 2019 playoff games where he, he they did a lot of that with him. That's a, that's a really good point. I forgot how... I forgot how he was utilized in that sense. But yeah, as you said, like the little jumpers he takes over Capella, that's when he's, he's like dropping back a bit. That's the uh, shot that he didn't have a couple of years ago. And now it's just like butter to him. And even if he, even if you're, you know, playing tighter up and he's just facing out from like 18 feet out, he has no problem just rising over you and making that shot. And that's, I'm a big fan of a guy who could use the mid range game and like as a threat not just you know threes or go to the rim obviously i know it's it's technically depending on how you use it technically like the worst shot in basketball but it could be such a threat to make you a complete um i'm trying to think of the word basically three level score yeah that's it a three level score and i've been really impressed with pascal and fred because that was not in Fred's game until this season either, where, you know, teams will drop back on Fred coming off a pick and like around the elbow area, he has no problem taking that shot. Now before it was like, okay, if I don't have a driving lane, I'm going to go back out and try to restart a play. Like I'm not going to take this uh, 18 footer that's there. So both of them, I've been really impressed on how their mid-range games have developed. And it's just, it's made the offense more fluid. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really great point to bring up is that they've both turned into three-level scorers. And especially if you, you know, you frame that next to last season, the COVID season where Pascal was still trying to make it work as a pull-up three-point shooter, not at the same rate as he was, you know, the year before, but still trying that obviously and Fred not adding any volume to his mid range yet. And Kyle Lowry at that point is just the layups and threes guy. Like he has no interest in doing anything else. They had a huge, huge, um, their offense was very weak to runs and droughts and stuff like that because they were so dependent on three point shooting, especially from their stars. And then you look at how strange the offense is this year with their mismatch hunting and just making sure that guys can get to spots and, whether it's Gary Trent Jr. or Pascal or Fred, OG, they are scoring from a lot of different places on the floor. And they've been really difficult to adjust for for a lot of teams. Now, they're not blowing the doors off, you know, many teams, but they are getting there at the end of the game against most teams. And it is largely on the back of the adaptability and the versatility. I think we should keep talking about that after uh, this quick message from the guys over at Jack Health. Want to get to the top of your game? Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, getting the prescription, and shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay at home and relax. Sexual health, daily health, hair and skin, it's easy to book an appointment with any of their certified doctors. You don't need to tell everyone and their mother your issues like when you go to the clinic and mumble what you're there for. Do it all from the privacy of your own home through www.jack.health and boost your game to the best it can be. Okay, so Jamar, let's talk about last year to this year. 
favorite changes within the offensive dynamic? I think that would be interesting to get your take on. Hmm. I mentioned I mentioned the uh, improvement in different guys' mid-range shots. I actually, uh, sorry, before we get to this topic, I actually wanted to ask you if you thought that um, Pascal was a better, like, what do you thought about his rebounding this year compared to, especially lately, compared to years past? Do you think he's a better rebounder now, or is he just being put in, um, a, like, because obviously he's played, he started at center quite a, quite often. Do you, or do you think that has anything to do with it? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Like talent versus proximity to the rim. Yeah. Especially like on that. the offense, on the offensive glass. Cause he, he's been really killing at that lately. Yeah. I, I would say that he's now, whether it's effort, whether it's whatever he, he, rebounding is really hard to say like improvements because right. it's like these, you know, dynamic reads off the rim and like, it's really hard. I tried to do it with Justin Champagny and it was really hard to like tease these ideas of you can really pinpoint where they're being good rebounding. Like there's some hallmarks, but a lot of the times guys are just getting after it. And I would say certainly Pascal is getting after it way more than any other season of his career. And when I was doing that big piece on him, you know, at the start of January, I was looking at the contested rebound rates and the contested rebound rates are way higher. So not only is he grabbing more rebounds on both sides of the floor, but he's grabbing more contested rebounds. And contested rebound rate, I think if you're going to dig into rebounding numbers, is the most important one because right. it's not just guys like, you know, the ball is in the flat and they're going out and beating everybody else to it and or if there's no competition or something like that or team rebounds or whatever. It's a guy going up against one or two other guys and bringing the ball down. And on both sides of the floor, I think Pascal has given that aspect of the game more attention. And I think that, you know, the dividends are paying off, certainly, because he's helping to close out more defensive possessions and he's giving them extra offensive possessions, which we both know is kind of their their ethos, if, if that answer is kind of like satisfying. No, 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 because I, I just... Obviously, he's come up huge on the boards lately. I was just trying to figure out if he you you bring up a good point. You bring up a good point because it's 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 kind of hard to it's kind of hard to tell. But yeah, I just wanted to get your your take on that. Uh, as far as the improvements offensively, man, <laughs> I try I try not to think about Tampa too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm just I'm trying I'm trying to bring my mind back to that season where. Uh, Cause they want to, they went on some terrible, they would go on a, on a gamely basis. They would go on a, on a horrendous drought. And a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, obviously they, for a lot of the year, they were playing a center that, you know, kind of held them back and was in the way a lot when it comes to like when they had Alex Lenford a little bit and then when they had on and Aaron Baines where it's just like, it's, I feel like that hurt Pascal because he was kind of in his driving lanes and Baines shooting kind of fell off from the, the season prior. So I feel like that mucked up the offense a lot, but when they went small, that problem wasn't there. And then obviously at that point you're running the, uh, the two guard lineup of Kyle and Fred and Fred was great as a spot up shooter. Um, OG at that point, OG was 
still pretty raw in terms of shot creation. The, the offense right now is a lot better than last year is what I'm trying to say. It's just, I'm just trying to think in my head, um, was there anything better offensively last year than there was this season? I'm, I'm kind of blanking here. I don't think so. Maybe yeah, like the, no. maybe the points per possession in transition might've been a yes. little bit better, but um, that's, that's like, that's hard to control for obviously. Right. Yeah. Well, what but, have your observations been over the last two seasons offensively? Okay. So this, this is an interesting, Aiden wrote a really good piece about it. Um, about how the Raptors are really hunting mismatches and post-up opportunities. Right. And that's, that's been the really interesting part of this year that has surprised me is the Raptors have gone away from the pick and roll, especially at the start of the year, have now accepted it back into the offense, but have still kept the new aspects of it. So when we look at this team compared to last year, even OG was not getting a lot of post-up touches or a lot of isolation touches. OG was mostly spotting up. OG was mostly, you know, as a screener and flat, and they used him as a zone buster as well. Pascal right. was basically the, the big post-up guy, but Scotty wasn't on the team yet and they still had Kyle Lowry. So they were running way more pick and roll. But as you, you know, you very clearly stated, like they didn't have a good roller. Like it was Alex Len, it was Aaron Baines. And those guys didn't just muck up possessions for Pascal, which they definitely did, but they mucked up possessions for Kyle, for Fred. And so to see the Raptors move away from the pick and roll possessions that Kyle had and kind of redistribute them into isolation and post-up possessions, it's an ugly offense at times because it's just guys brutalizing other players and passing out of doubles and stuff like that, which is not, is not the most, the Spurs didn't do that a bunch when they were the beautiful game Spurs. They were like, they were setting screens, getting downhill, right. zipping the ball around, finding the open man. And the Raptors are really low in assist percentage. They play really slow. They just, <laughs> they're big in the middle of the lineup. And they're like, if you have a small guy in the middle of your lineup, we will find him. It's like a horror movie for the other defense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that, that's been the most interesting aspect of it to me is that they've succeeded. And especially lately, since they learned they can succeed at that, and very clearly they tried to, they've added more pick-and-roll possessions for the likes of, of Pascal Siakam because Fred was always going to run pick-and-roll. But I've been pining for Pascal to get more pick-and-roll possessions for, I don't know, two years, three years now. And to see him get rewarded with a little bit of screen help, I like a lot. And so I think, I don't know if the pick-and-roll with Pascal and Fred will become the base of what they do. In fact, I doubt it. But the fact that they're going to that more often, you know, the inverse version of it or the regular version of it, I like that a lot. And I've really, really enjoyed through January the way they've mixed looks as far as pick and roll, isolation and post up. I think that's my favorite thing. And I did not ever enjoy the way that they played basketball last season. I thought that it was very one note. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think that they've been quite changeable and malleable this year, especially offensively. They've succeeded at a lot of different things. And Scotty deserves a lot of credit for adding to that identity as a rookie, I think. It's funny because um, they are, I feel like they came into this season with an emphasis on pace. And yet they're 25th in pace uh, out, of, out of 30 teams. Last, last season, as um, we talked about, 
they, they got out and transitioned a little bit more, but their half court offense was so ugly. Um, last year they were 13th in pace. That's like, like 100 and, 101 possessions and compared to 98. So it's it's just funny because I I felt like I felt like coming into the season they actually wanted to be faster and it kind of has evolved into that mismatch hunting type of offense that you you're talking about which I actually don't mind because last year it was like if we don't find a basket in transition there's a high chance the possession's going to be hell where this year I don't kind of I don't feel that because they have they're more there's more variety in how they can score. So when you go to, dare I say, a playoff slash play-in type of uh, scenario, I'm a lot more confident in the ways they can score this year because it's not, it's not just, you know, transition or die, which is um, what it seemed to be a lot last year at times. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing is like being adaptable in a playoff series is kind of everything there. There isn't one team that has played one way to a championship. Um, right. As far as I can, like earlier on, yes, there was teams had very, very clear cut identities. And like when they played through the post or like a, a star, like Michael Jordan, absolutely. And that's like a dominant era of basketball. But now, especially with you look at the, the league this year, right? A lot of parody. You look at the recent champions, Lakers, Bucks, Raptors, after the dynasty era of the Warriors. And I guess we'll see if they can bring it back this year. But um, you have to be changeable. You have to be able to play big. You have to be able to play small. And the Raptors, at least offensively, they can play big and small. It just doesn't look like it used to. It isn't Patrick Ewing. You know, it isn't illegal to double him unless you go right after the ball. You know what I mean? It's it's guys like Scotty Barnes or OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam who are taking these possessions surveying the floor and all three of those guys can pass OG the least of all three, but I still think OG rates as, you know, at least an average to above average passer at his position. And so, yeah, I'm pretty happy with the mismatch hunting, even if it's a little bit like slow at times, I think it's a a really fun brand of basketball and a really unique play style. The league over it's yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinated me to basically to the ends of the earth. I just, this team has been so funky all year. And then like you mm-hmm. plug in Gary Trent and Fred into that, or their, their funk lineups where they have like Delano Banton, Pascal Siakam, Barnes, Precious and Boucher. And they're just like, we are throwing the ball at the rim. Maybe it goes in, but it's functionally because we rebound so much of the offensive opportunities. It's like a pass because they, they rebound like 45% of their own misses. So if right. you miss it, they just have these long limb dudes like going up at the bucket and they're like, this is how we create layups. Not with the pick and roll, but because we're just throw the ball at the rim and the, like the ball will be available for a putback at some point. What a weird team. I got to give Precious a shout out because um, <laughs> obviously, you know, there are parts of his game is still growing. He'll make uh, those um, mistakes on reads where it's just like, especially if it's a transition thing where it's like, there's a pass clearly there and he just doesn't do it. But I remember, I'm going to compare this to Pascal a little bit because I remember in Pascal's rookie season in his second season, when he would catch the ball, 
in especially in the corner or just any area around there and i'll just be like please don't shoot that three please don't shoot that three but over the last little bit precious kind of in the same way where it's like oh my god he's shooting another three he has been really good especially in the corner and especially in crunch time like in the fourth quarter he's making key threes and it's just like it's kind of like it's kind of been mind-blowing a little bit i this started in the uh Milwaukee, the first game in, in Milwaukee uh, about a month ago or something where he made a massive three that kind of gave the Raptors a lead and they kind of like never looked back from there. But over the last couple of games, I want to say he's made multiple threes over the last couple of games. And it's just, you see the growth there and I got to stop hating on him in that aspect because it's just, I was never comfortable with him taking threes. Yeah, he made two against that. He was two for two in the last game he was two for three against Miami he made one before that in Atlanta and then he made one in Charlotte it's just you're seeing the growth through like through this season where it's just like I'm comfortable with him starting to take those shots and especially the one against Miami in the in the fourth quarter I think it was Jim because that that funk lineup you talk about that was the lineup that was on the court and I think it was Jimmy Butler who was closing out on Precious and he just shot it anyway I was like what (laughs) it's just it's just it's just funny to it's just fun to see guys uh develop parts to their game because i think how many threes the precious even make as a rook he didn't yeah he's not a part of this game he didn't make any so (laughs) it's crazy yeah he was 0 for 1 obviously he didn't play a lot of minutes but that was just non-existent and it's just it's just fun to see everybody develop obviously um the next guy, Nurse, is trying to um, make that a part of Delano Benton's game when he's playing in the G League. He's like, you got to take like five to eight threes a game, and he's been doing it with the little G League stints that he's had. So it's just it's just fun to see different guys develop different aspects of their game because if you told me that Precious is going to be taking, you know, sh- shots down the stretch from three, and making them, I would have been like, you're crazy, like a couple months ago. Because every time he took one, it's like, don't do that. Please don't do that. And it's just funny <laughs> how <laughs> it's just funny how quickly that's starting to develop. Because now, now he's at 30% from three, which I mean, obviously that's still kind of low, but it's just like before it was like, I, I bet it was probably around like 15, like in the in the teens. And it's just it's become a decent weapon. It's it's certainly been nice to watch him progress. I think the craziest thing for me about Precious is I, I firmly believe that he has all defensive potential and yeah. that it's well within reach because coming into the season, you can see he makes tons of mistakes defensively. And there's a reason that guys will often X out for him and keep him in proximity to the rim. He, he's as big as anybody else. He's as mobile as a lot of other players who make those X outs. But there's a reason that complicated defensive rotations, usually other guys will take those instead of him. And well, there's two reasons. One is because he's bad at them. The second is because he's really, really valuable around the rim. And I wrote about this. He is really, really valuable around the rim. He changes shots like nobody else on the Raptors. Nobody else comes close. And then also in that article, I was kind of detailing how special he is in man-to-man coverage. 
And so you can see him take bumps and stick in isolation against Luca, against Giannis, against Jimmy Butler, who all three of those guys are just immense offensive weapons who are so good at shedding defenders with physicality. Like you're going from Jimmy who set the free throw rate record. Like his ability to grift is almost unparalleled in the NBA. You have Luka Doncic, who is the most bullish, brutish guard that's maybe ever entered the league. He just pushes people around. And then you have Giannis, who is the most overwhelming physical force maybe ever in the NBA, besides like Shaq. This is a guy who's running in transition, giving guys like a shoulder, regrouping his balance, and then dunking on a separate help side defender. And Precious is sticking those guys, taking the bumps, and then blocking them at the end. That that is really special. And you can also see it like Pascal has been a better defender than Precious this year, and especially during this last stretch. But when I was going through the game film of that Hawks game, the one they just won, I actually, <laughs> the crazy thing is that like Pascal was put in really hard positions and he failed against the Trey Young, John Collins drag pick and roll. Uh, Precious didn't. <laughs> like Precious actually won defensive possessions that he had no business winning. And whether it was like with a great contest or actually blocking Trey at the rim, his ability to like chop his feet flip his hips and stay with Trey is kind of mind blowing. His, his defensive potential is awesome. And yeah, just to bookend like you being optimistic about his three and the mechanics look nice too. Hell yeah to that. The The offensive movement is still in a terrible place and I'm, I'm sure he'll end up, you know, solving that at some point in his career, but the defense, man, the defense blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I saw you, I saw you wrote about that um, not, not too long ago. It's just, what do you, in terms of uh, Precious's development, like, what do you see him being long-term as a, in terms of role for the Raptors? I'm curious. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. If, because he's such a great athlete, you wonder, you know, is there a version of the future where he fits in as like an above average roller? Does he get to a point where he can find the pacing to mirror the guy on ball, to maintain passing lanes, to know when to slip, to ghost, to all this stuff into open space? Like all that stuff takes a really meaningful amount of offensive awareness, which he has like none of right now. So, you know, the athletic package he's working with deems that he should be a guy who can like, get the ball on the bounce, one dribble, and dunk on somebody at the rim. Or even, like, find a seam, catch a lob with regularity. Stuff, we, stuff we've seen from, actually, Clint Capella since he was a young guy, right? Like, Clint Capella, I think, is a great offensive comp for what uh, Precious should want to be doing as far as a roller. Clint Capella's awareness from a young age, well, a young age in the league, I thought was really, really sharp. And so looking to emulate some of that, being a lob threat, like a vertical threat would be good. I'm not super optimistic about it getting there just because it's really hard to understand offenses when you don't and to like do it as a, a guy who has to always be interpreting space. I don't know, but I do believe in the three-point shot. I believe that he can get to a point where he's shooting like 35, 36% on catch and shoot threes. Um, it could obviously go higher. Anybody can become a good shooter, but I think he'll at least become an okay shooter to make teams respect him there but offensively 
you know, and he took in, in that last Hawks team as well, he took on Yeka Konglu, who is a really good defender in, in his own right, off the dribble, pump fake, and then got to a, a little push shot. There's always going to be that like freestyle application of his offense where his handle is more advanced than a lot of other bigs, especially at his age. How far that ratchets up, like what type of handler he becomes, and whether that opens up the same type of play type avenues that Scotty is currently thriving in, like those dribble handoff keeper plays where he gets to turn the corner. Is that something that could be part of Precious's future? I hope so. And I think so. So I think like dynamic handoff stuff that is mostly predicated on him being able to hand the ball off and drive the ball is something in the future for him. I don't know about like being a passing hub. I I doubt it. And I don't know about ever being like a really good pick and roll threat, but he's, I think he's going to end up being a guy who can like do keeper plays. You can run a lot of handoff stuff through him. He's always going to rebound the hell out of the ball on both sides of the floor. And I think he'll be able to reliably shoot like corner threes as he slides out to provide spacing on like, if they want to fill both corners in the pick and roll or something, or do like a spread pick and roll or whatever it ends up looking like, I think he'll have reliable, okay spacing. That's a lot of words, but offensively, <laughs> I think that's that's what I'm expecting. And if you pair that with with the defense that I'm expecting from him, that's probably not an all-star big, but that's definitely like a guy who's, who's going to get paid in the league and be a, a huge positive, I think. I, I tend to agree with you there, yeah. Yeah. Good question though. Like that's, well, that's, those are the most interesting questions and the most fruitless, I think. And you and I obviously both have a tendency for asking them is like, Hey, what do you think this guy will become? Because you get, you know, obviously the insight into what a person thinks of a player and hopefully they say some things that are true that you learn, but also players don't care what you say about them. They're going to become what they're going to become. And it's like, you know, when I was talking about Gary Trent Jr., like I said, well, I think Gary Trent Jr. will be this. And if he does this, maybe he's this. And you're just saying like, well, it could be this thing. It could be that thing. And it's, yeah, with Precious, who knows? All I know is that his defense is really good right now. And his offense has been pretty rough. But in the context of this Raptors team, I don't mind it at all. I I, I would rather have Precious minutes over Birch minutes probably for the rest of the season. I are you in the same boat as me for that one? What do you think about Birch? It's it's hard to get a handle on Birch because he's been so in and out. Mm-hmm. So it's like any any time he gets in any sort of rhythm, something happens. So it's like if if we were doing like one of those quick reactions on like the whole season right now, I'd give Birch an incomplete because I don't know what to t- like. I I wouldn't I I haven't seen him play in different lineups enough to know what what's with I mean like I I know he's I know what he's good at I know he he really had the chemistry going with the short role especially with um I want to say Fred I know that chemistry is there but just I need to see him play more because yeah it's it's kind of hard to tell but with with Precious I know what I'm getting a little bit more so I guess I'm answering your question right now by saying yeah I'd probably prefer prefer precious, but I just, Birch still intrigues me. I just need to see him on the court. Mm-hmm. That Well, that's totally the thing, right? And also like by the time next season rolls around, Birch is going to be 30, basically. Right. Like a 30 year old big. And this, like, this was always the interesting aspect of it, even by the optics versus like the reality of who Ken Birch is. 
you know, he, he was, he was the one, you know, his agent came out and said like he was getting offered 18 million, but he took six from the Raptors instead, which is, it's obviously a lie, but I respect the hustle. Like he, he, you know what I mean? But Kim Birch has like been a below average big in the NBA for some time now. And there was a stretch at the start of, well, when he joined the Raptors where, you know, he was hitting corner threes at like 32%. He was short rolling and finding the skip pass and all that kind of stuff. And he was, he was making good on like little touch shots around the rim and he was moving well defensively. It, when he's injured, we can't see the promise of any of that. We just right. remember like, oh yeah, there was a decent stretch last year in games that, you know, Gary Trent Jr. was struggling immensely because there was no structure. And Ken Birch was basically just kind of like, I'm the guy in the middle. This is how it works. Even Freddie Gillespie had like a meaningful defensive stretch with the Raptors during that time. So it's, you need to see guys in winning context is the, is the big thing for me. And it's been awesome to see Gary Trent Jr. In this winning context, it's been awesome to see Scotty Barnes in this winning context, because when a team starts winning, you really see what they value as the hierarchy for offensive decision-making and defensive decision-making. When the Raptors were struggling, you saw they were, you know, Pascal would be part of big droughts this year. Like he wouldn't get the ball. The offense would not freeze him out, but he just wouldn't receive the possessions he probably should. Now, as they start winning a bunch of games, you see that Fred is still the point guard. He's still the guy with the most touches on the floor, but Scotty isn't getting more touches than Pascal in, in games anymore. And that's because they've started winning. So they've started to kind of restructure everything towards, okay, we want the possessions to work out like this, to work out like that. And I'm really interested to see how Kim Birch fits into that because we've seen that Precious can and Chris Boucher can and everybody that's been receiving minutes can. And Kim Birch has not been a part of a successful stretch for the Raptors yet. At least not like a, a winning successful stretch, I wouldn't say. I got I to gotta ask you about, because obviously every game, especially Fred, they'll ask him about the minutes that they're playing. And you can, you can tell in the scrums that Fred is tired of talking about this. <laughs> where just where is like, I think one of them, he's like, I'm a grown man. I'm not being told to do anything against my will. I want to play these minutes and yada, yada, yada. Um, as obviously I feel my opinion, I feel that nurse doesn't have a choice because you see what happens when he has to use more bench lineups. Even if we have a decent lead, it's instantly gone. And it's, it's kind of like you want to, obviously his main priority is to win the game, but some, uh, there's been a lot of talk obviously about, okay, this is not sustainable. You can't keep playing guys 40 minutes on a regular basis. You got to, you got to develop the bench. What are your thoughts on how this should play out? for the rest of the season. Obviously the trade deadline has a lot to do with that. If the Raptors can pick up someone that can, you know, help because for the longest time, uh, Mihailuk was getting a lot of looks. Nurse was trying with him a lot. And then it's just like, I think he's just given up on that for the most part. Uh, Cause I, I don't remember the last time I've seen him play the game unless he, uh, because I, I was kind of in and out of the Atlanta game. You're, you're right. You're right. He's Svi is out of the rotation. For right. Now, definitely. So, yeah. So what are your thoughts on the minutes and how that could be utilized for the team we currently have? 
it's kind of a weird question because obviously a move can be made, but I just wanted to get your take on that. Yeah, that's really interesting because on the one hand, athletes hurt themselves trying to do too much all the time. So do you, you run the risk of like patronizing these athletes by saying, well, this hasn't happened before, or this hasn't happened in a few years. This is a lot of like cumulative load. This is a lot of minutes. This doesn't happen often. There's a reason it doesn't, but it's their body. They know what's going on with it. And both Pascal and Fred have gone on wax to say, we like it. And so these, these guys are saying they like it. And I'm not Alex McKechnie and me speculating like, oh, like the minutes do this, the minutes do that. I don't have any of the proprietary information, like the sports science information that the Raptors are no doubt working with behind the scenes. I'm not measuring these guys' vitals and stuff like that. So <laughs> it's, it's tough for me to say anything. I can only reference it against what the league has been trending towards and say that this is an oddity. And then you brought up the, the great point is like, is this a necessity? Is this a necessary oddity? Is, does Nick Nurse have a choice? Is this like Tom Thibodeau having, you know, a good player on the bench and deciding like, nah, I still don't like that guy. We're gonna, <laughs> you know, like we're still running with the eight man or whatever. And we saw it against the Hawks. The Raptors jumped out to that big lead because Pascal yeah. just tore them to shreds. So Nick Nurse was like, okay, we're going to risk it. We're going, with, we're going with Fred and Pascal both on the bench. And it went really poorly. <laughs> like, <laughs> As and then yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then I, mess, I as soon as that happened, I'm like, this is why he can't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, will he get to a point where he can stop playing them that much? I mean, I hope so. Pascal, since he came back from COVID, has playing has been playing over 40 minutes a game. That's a 20 game stretch of over 40 minutes a game. That's yeah. like that is that's a playoff run, dude. That's <laughs> that's pretty crazy, but. Does he have a choice? I don't think so. If you if you want him to save their minutes, I think you're saying that you're okay with losing. Like, I, man, if you look at him playing guys less minutes, you're probably looking at a team that is like 22 wins instead of 28. Like, I I don't I don't know if it's that drastic, but th- these games they just think flat out aren't yeah they flat out aren't winning these games if he's not pulling the trigger on the minutes. So I think yeah it's it's necessary. It is an oddity, though, and I hope that they're, well, they obviously are. They're no doubt paying super close attention to the implication of, you know, how much wear and tear this brings on their bodies and, like, where they have to be by a certain point in time and, you know, what type of wear and tear equals what on certain players and, like, what their injury history is. All that stuff, I they're paying close attention to it. I hope that it works out. And, I mean, they play a hell of a lot of minutes, man. I, I just, I'm glad they're in great shape. Like, Coach Carter. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're just going to run. What they need is a couple blowouts. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of contradicting myself because I love all the clutch time minutes that they're getting lately because this is something we questioned. Well, I questioned. Some other people questioned about, you know, when it comes down to clutch time. We saw we saw the struggles last year in Tampa. You know, obviously the uh, – the clip of the compilation of Pascal missing a bunch of shots, just rolling off the rim, basically just bad luck um, in the last couple seconds of like about four or five games. So I was really curious to, you know, their clutch time offense and how they would operate. And I've been really, really impressed. Like I said, at the, um, the beginning about how everybody 
uh, the starting lineup has played a part in all of these games in terms of just offensively. Well, both sides of the ball, but I'm just talking offense right now. So um, I lost my train of thought. Well, we're, they we're they need some blows. That's, that's yeah, what they need, yeah, that's what I was, yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, they need some, they need some blows to help with these minutes because as much as I'm impressed with their end of game stuff offensively, um, they need to, you would love a game where Fred and Pascal only have to play like 25 to 28 minutes. Like that, that would be so ideal, especially on these back-to-backs, because obviously when they had a bunch of games in um, the, uh, late December that were postponed, they're basically, they're paying for it right now because the schedule wasn't supposed to be like this, where they're playing Chicago numerous times and Charlotte numerous times and Miami numerous times. It wasn't really supposed to be like that, but basically they're paying for uh, the, the, the COVID stretch in December which I think is finally over. I think the schedule is a lot more lenient now. They obviously ha- are having two games off. And then they have a back-to-back Wednesday, Thursday, Oklahoma City and at Houston. But after that, they don't have another back-to-back until the end of the, um, the beginning of the second half of the season at Charlotte, at Atlanta, Feb 25 and 26. So they're going to get more of a break, which they desperately need. Yeah, man. They, they, well, you're absolutely right. Like, it's it's hard to find the balance of like what you want with the team because the Raptors, you know, they're up towards the leaders. I think they're fifth in clutch minutes, like with around like 120 this season. I think they're top 10 in offensive rating in clutch time. They're near top 10 in defensive rating. And they're, what's their net rating? I think so. They're, they're ninth in net rating in clutch time. So it's been good. They've been beating teams in the clutch and those, those possessions, those reps are super, super valuable. But, you know, as you say, like Fred, Pascal, if they played 28 minutes in a game, they probably would feel like they didn't even play. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> They'd be like, damn, you know, we got, we got a, you know, we got a bit of a blow in, but we ended up winning that one. And I, I'm really interested to see how they play against like the lesser teams after playing kind of a murderer's row. Right. And uh Yeah. So I, I'm really interested. That's where like a drop big would really help. You could play like a conservative defense and just make the other team hit like mid-range jumpers and see if they could beat you doing that. But they got to well, sell out every defensive possession. If you want, if you want some minutes down this week after the Charlotte game, they have a back-to-back at Oklahoma City and Houston. If they could blow, if they could, you know, take charge in one of those two games, that could be what the doctor ordered. We need we need the precious Achua game. We need like 20, <laughs> we need twenty six points, and we need like twelve of them to come from point precious. We need them to pop off and like steal a game or something like that. Would that be a career high for precious twenty six? I don't think he's ever done that. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's we need we need the precious game, like the the Chris Boucher games where he has like he's got two of them where it's twenty nine and twenty or twenty nine and nineteen. I think he's had two of them with the Raptors, and it's like we need a game like that from precious where they're up by like 30 and they don't have to worry about it. That would be great. And, and precious gets to pop off because he's obviously wanting to do that. So I think yeah. that would be the best of both worlds. Maybe even Svi hits more than two threes in a game, which by far is the most, I guess, frustrating stat for me this year is that Svi has not hit more than two threes in a game. And really? Justin Champagny has <laughs> like Svi was brought on as shooter and just, yeah, Champagne had that game where he hit like four or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he had four. Yeah. And Svi, just the shooting, man. 
it never came. I don't know if he'll have another chance at the rotation, like another crack at it this year, but it just never came. And like those three pointers from your end of bench guys, they really help you uh, maintain bloats and stuff like that. And, and I want to, and I want to say a lot of those are open too. Yeah. And it's like, I, I, I remember vividly a few of them where it's just like, it'll be a TSN game. And you know how sometimes Jack will be like, Oof. <laughs> when they have like a wide open shot and he misses. And I feel like he's done that a lot is lot with um Highlooker. It's just like you have to make those if you're gonna be in the game. But when you look at his career numbers, it's kind of basically on brand. He's basically been a um like s- s- low 30s percent three-point shooter. So mm-hmm. it's not like he had that he had a one season in Detroit where he was actually 40%, but over the last two seasons or so, this is kind of what he is. So it's just like, it, it, at, at some point, it feels like you're hoping for something that's just not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, do you believe in the Detroit season or do you believe in everything else that's happened? Because right. context can be really important for shooters. Like a guy like Wayne Ellington can come on at the end of his career or like, you know, just past the middle of his career as just a great shooter because now he's finally in a place where shots are being fed to him. But Steve Mihailuk, you talk about like, you say oof or something like that. What I say when an NBA player is open, I say NBA player. I say it out loud because I'm like, NBA players hit open shots. And then this is just me myself, but well, actually I don't say it when I'm by myself. If I'm around other people, I say NBA player when a player is open. And if he misses, I have to say, now he has to get out of the league. That's just what, like, you got to hit open shots as an NBA player. That's why Fred is in the NBA, because he took that ethos and he just, he hammered it. Basically, nobody shoots open shots better than Fred Van Vliet. He is a a marvel. Since we're going through the bench, um, Malachi, do you, like, what's your your take um, in terms of him and, you know, is he going to be a guy who ever cracks the rotation on a consistent basis or what Not do you, on the what do you Raptors. Yeah. I don't yeah. see that either. I, I wrote about this before this big week. I wrote, you know, kind of like a, a bench primer. I was like, who, who are we expecting to see off the bench? And so I was right in assuming that Delano was going to be the guy. And that wasn't much of a guess because Nick Nurse said, there's a quote of him saying Delano is pretty much in the rotation and then, so I was kind of walking through like Sfi and Malachi and Utah and whether we'd see them or not. And Utah, I came away. I haven't seen him in a while either. Yeah. 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 And so I came away saying like, I expect to see Champagne. Well, I didn't talk about Achua and Boucher because they're, they're there. Yeah. But I said, I said, I expect to see Champagne and uh, Banton more than anybody else. And I had said like Malachi Flynn, I expect to see him if they give Fred a game of rest, but otherwise no. And because Malachi had a really nice game against the Hornets when he came in for some of those Fred minutes when Fred was resting, but there's just no point when the Raptors are having success with those big, weird lineups. Where yeah. does, if, if Fred is there for point guard minutes, where does Malachi fit in? He yeah. just does not fit the team. You know, Pascal was an all NBA player and he still wasn't getting pick and roll possessions. Nurse sure as hell isn't giving them to Malachi. He doesn't have like a, a really good role man to pair with the best parts of his game are mitigated on the Raptors and the worst parts of his game are on full blast. So he's just in a really tough spot. I hope he gets an opportunity with another team 
and, you know, gets like a, a decent bench big to run, pick and roll with. And, you know, he kind of pops off there, but with the Raptors, it's just so tough to see a way forward for him to get minutes and, you know, to succeed in them because it would just have to be insane shot making, which he, he's not an insane shot maker. It's just, no. yeah, he's in a tough position. I feel bad. Yeah. And it's, and when you, when you get to the shot making, it's like, I actually like how his shot looks, but a lot of times it just doesn't, it doesn't fall. And it's just, you see his dad, Eric Flynn, always talking, <laughs> talking about, what did, he, what did he call Nick Nurse the other day? Nick Nursery? Nick, <laughs> so Nick's awkward. Nursery. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's just like, it's like, you're, you're, you're not helping, dude. <laughs> like, makes me laugh, but he, he had a whole tirade the other day and it's like, oh, it's like, it, it, it makes me feel worse for Malachi because it's just like this is not helping the, the kid. Would you do but, that if your if your son was in the NBA? Would you be on the Facebook pages like preaching the gospel? I think I would be. Really? Except, well, I'd be on Twitter probably, but I wouldn't like because yeah, I, I don't do Facebook. Facebook's not for me, brother. I think that place <laughs> it's it's run. No, its no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. But, I'm, not a, I'm not a Facebook guy. But you would be. You would be the guy that would. Uh, You'd be the outspoken father. Well, I pr- I would do it like anonymously, you know. Oh no! Okay, 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 okay. okay. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't sign up as like. So they Samson wouldn't. So phone. they wouldn't know it was you. You'd be basically like burner. Oh yeah, I like okay. I'm undercover. I'm like okay. I'm paid. You know, I, I'm undercover. I'm in all the different. I'm under Blake Murphy's replies. Every single thing he tweets out. <laughs> okay. Okay. Saying I could. Okay, did I you could consider this, Blake? Hmm. And like pointing, <laughs> pointing to really, really minute data. Like, look at, look at the way he chases on this screen and then pulling up like Gary Trent Jr. on the screen being like, look, he didn't even get his arm out. You want a guy who gets his arm out on the screen or you want a guy who's going to get stuck on a screen? So basically, I don't know how, I don't know how much you follow the NFL. Basically, you'd be Odell Beckham's dad and show all the, um, all the, all the plays where his son could have done something, but you know, <laughs> miss targets. Other, other, yeah, other circumstances. <laughs> Baker Mayfield. <laughs> so, so you'd be that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm cutting clips every time he has like even <laughs> half a step on his defender on a back cut and doesn't get the ball. So it's going to be like this. It's going to seem inscrutable to anybody watching it because it's just going to be like, look like a glitchy clip of this guy getting half a step repeatedly. And they'd be like, yeah, you, you know, it's glitching. I'm like, no, that's half a step. Look, he got he got half a step in seven games of the past nine and he didn't get the ball. Can you believe that? What's going on in Nick's nursery? I don't, I don't know what my son's <laughs> name or even in the WNBA, my daughter's name, but yeah, I gotta, I gotta point it out. And like, I don't know. I don't know what my account would be like Quavo Tarantino or something like that. So if, if anybody sees Quavo Tarantino pop up, know that it's me <laughs> trolling or something like that. Oh my gosh. I think that name's Nick, Nick nursery. I think that game name's going to stick for a while. <laughs> it's become viral. I just start yeah. laughing every time I see it. It's uh, pretty damn good. It's good. Okay. We haven't a oh, bench guys. We haven't talked about really Utah or Champagne. Champagne impresses me because like, Every single game, I feel like immediately after he comes into the game, he does one of two things, sometimes both. Either he has like a well-timed cut or he just is on the weak side or something, grabs the offensive board, has a putback, like minutes into like one or two minutes into his like stick because his stints are not very long. It's just like 
when it comes to when we were talking about rebounding earlier and just, you know, how do you gauge that and just him having a nose for the ball, it just really impressed me how he's always in the right spot at the right time. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. And then in, in terms of uh, Utah, because uh, he's kind of been out of the rotation too. Um, is there a spot for him or is, just, or is that like, because for me, he's like kind of like the on the fence guy. I, I, how, how deep do we go? Like eight deep most times? Like he'd be like the nine guy, but a lot of times we don't go nine deep. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, with, with Banton, or sorry, not Banton, um, with, Cham- <laughs> with Champagny, like I wrote that piece about his rebounding and I kind of, I basically watched every single offensive rebound and defensive rebound he had gotten and was kind of trying to get an idea of what makes him successful. And he gets a, the, the number one thing is like, there's no analytics to it. You watch the film, he gets the jump on the ball that other players don't get. He was an incredible rebounder at Pitt when, where he went to college and that's translated to the NBA really well. Banton, Barnes, and Champagny, all three of the guys that they've gotten through the draft and undrafted free agent in Champagny are all above 90th percentile in rebounding at their positions on the offensive end of the floor. And Champagny is basically like an unparalleled weirdo rebounder in the NBA. He, his ability to like just go in and nuke possessions and give you extra ones kind of blows my mind. Uh, there's not like a whole bunch of, you know, numbers or terms you can ascribe to him. He's just the guy eating glass. Like he's getting in there. He's getting you extra possessions and he clearly has a nose for the ball. And then Utah, if if he has his three-point shot going in an aggressive way and he's shooting like better than 37, 38%, then he would be really valuable because he's, he's as solid a defender as you can get. And he can be borderline elite depending on the matchup he's in. And He's just not been an aggressive player. When he puts the ball on the floor, it's a reset because he cannot finish at the rim uh, unless it's wide, wide open. He's, he's, I would say, hesitant to attack guys at the rim. And when he does, he fails. And this is like harsh framing, but this is what Utah's game has been recently. And that's disappointing, but he has to shoot the three really aggressively, shoot it well, and defend. And he has not been shooting the three aggressively and he hasn't been shooting it well enough. And so yeah. they, they've been going with a player like Banton who is always trying to do more than he's capable of and hitting on some things, which is in their mind, probably better than Utah who is doing less than what he's capable of and not hitting on enough. If, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. And I I've been impressed with Banton. Obviously we know he likes to push the ball and that that's helped. And but I've been impressed with him. I remember the the Miami game, the the, the stretch where they had the uh, funky lineup and they kind of went on like a 10-0 run and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. His length, his length bothers people. And there's a couple of possessions where even where he had to pick up Jimmy Butler and his length bothered him. He's like taking tougher shots than he would have liked. And there's a there's a there's a lot of potential there. And I'm just I, I, I'm really impressed and how even when Miami would run zone, because obviously we know how much that's hurt the Raptors at, at points this season. And he would find, he would make the right read. He would see Pascal flash middle and he would find Pascal and Pascal would make that little push shot. Like they're just, just little things that he does that, you know, I'm really impressed by any, he, he, he'll get on the offensive, uh, offensive glass, like pretty much the whole team. 
And it's just little things like that I've been really impressed by Banton on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like post-entry passes, he's better right. at than Fred, for example. And like if you're a tall guy, post-entry passes are way easier than yeah. if you're a short guy. Like everybody knows this. And as, as you said, like great to point out, he can find the zone buster even if the defense is shading like a certain way because he, he's a good passer, especially for his size. And, you know, his size allows him different passing angles than a lot of players like Gary Trent or, or Fred who would be on ball otherwise. So yeah, th- there's unique aspects to his game that pop out. And that was no doubt what the Raptors were thinking when they drafted Banton. And when they went after Champagne is these two guys already have elite skills and they're in, I would say underrated or maybe like less important aspects of the game relative to what's important in the NBA. And they're just waiting to see if something else pops off. And then you have a guy with like, a good skill in one area. Like if Banton becomes like a good spot up shooter, then he becomes like a really, really interesting player because you have to defend him differently. And it allows him to leverage the elite aspects of his game. And same with Champagne. If Champagne becomes like, uh, you know, a a decent three point shooter, you're looking at a guy who will space the floor and then will also get you like four extra possessions a game off the bench. That's madness. Like that, that is a level of value that very few players off the bench could provide. So they're just like, can these guys be weirdos and develop? And, you know, the returns have actually been really good so far this year. You you love that. You love that action to weirdo. (laughs) It's funny. Um, But uh, Benton, I feel like like his spot of shooting is going to come around a lot quicker than people think. Because obviously that's been a huge emphasis on Nurse has brought to him already, especially when he's in those uh, G League games, as I mentioned. I feel like in the offseason, he's good, like that's going to be like the number one thing. He's going to just come back a uh, way better shooter. I, I really do. I feel like at this time next year, just how I was saying about just how I was saying earlier about how surprised I was that, you know, Precious is becoming reliable from three. I feel like we're going to be saying the same thing about Ben, but like a bigger development. That would, that would be cool, man. That would that would definitely be cool. If I'm going to call something, I'm going to call that. I feel like he's going to be a, re, a reliable spot of three-point shooter next year. That's a good call. I, I'm excited to see if it happens. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get out of here? Okay. Uh, play in and first round. Who would you want to see? Who would you not want to see? Uh, I'll, I'll answer my own question to begin. I, if, if the Raptors don't catch one of the top six teams and end up in the plan, I think they don't want to see Atlanta. I feel like obviously they just went to the Eastern conference finals. Um, they have a really good lineup when healthy, Trey is a huge problem to stop as we saw. And I'm happy that we went against Trey because I was kind of disappointed that Trey didn't play in the first game because I kind of wanted to see how they deal with him in the pick and roll and all, and all that. So we got a taste of that. I think Boston and Charlotte, Charlotte especially, I think if the Raptors were in a play, and I think Charlotte would be the ideal team to play against because I don't know. I haven't watched a lot of Charlotte, but I feel like they have a they have a decent amount of scores, but I feel like they they probably have the worst defense out of everybody I've just mentioned, and I think the Raptors could exploit that. 
and we're obviously we're gonna we're gonna see more Charlotte. Um, their next game is on Monday against Charlotte, and they had a pretty easy time with them when they played a, a week and a half ago. And as far as um, the top six, whew, mm, <laughs> that's that's tough. I mean, like I guess Cleveland would have the least experience, but I, I really I really like Cleveland. I guess I guess. If you could get in, if you could find like a matchup with Cleveland Subway somehow, like a three six or something, I don't know if Cleveland's going to be a three, but that would be probably the most ideal matchup. I don't think the Raptors want anything to do with Philly, <laughs> with Wolf and Bead. I don't think they want anything to do with Philly. Chicago would be interesting. I would like to see the Raptors play Chicago with Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso back though. So, because their their defense has really suffered without them, I think their bottom their bottom ten defensively over the last month and a half, with them in and out of the lineup, or the beginning of the season, they were in the top half of the league. But Miami would be tough. <laughs> uh, I'm just running. I'm just running through the list in my head. Brooklyn is interesting because Kyrie wouldn't even be able to play in that series, and they're under so much chaos right now. But I, I don't think you want to deal with KD. Uh, I'm just what do you what do you think? Yeah, if you have to pick out of the top six, I guess I'd probably go uh in terms of preference, Cleveland, Brooklyn, Miami. And Brooklyn is only with the you know missing Kyrie. And yeah. I guess we'll see. Because that, you're taking true. you're taking a max player out of every single game, which is <laughs> pretty wild i know the the optics would not be fun for that series like the conversations that would obviously come up would be like super tiring and like (laughs) distressing but yeah cleveland i guess i I like cleveland a lot but um as far as dealing with a team that's like multifaceted and stuff like that i think cleveland is the most one note you don't want to play milwaukee as you said like chicago looks very beatable because they just beat them and they had a close game prior but they don't have Caruso or Lonzo Ball. And basically everything that the Raptors did would be way, way harder if both of those guys were present. So, yeah. And as far as like playing, I agree with you. Charlotte is the team uh, you'd want to play against. And Atlanta, you don't want to play against, I don't think. Like they beat Atlanta, well done. But Atlanta, like there's money invested in that team. There's role players, like elite role players on that team. There's re- like battle tested players on the team, and they have Trey Young, who is just yeah. insane in the pick and roll. Like some of the passes he made against the Raptors were so absurd, man. And like they had a really nice game plan for him. They funneled him downhill, they shaded him, and like they started switching at the end there. Good, well done. But you know, in a playoff series, his Trey's ability to make reads and kind of dissect the defense is really, really strong especially the Raptors who will be in rotation a lot. So, yeah. And like Capella is great. Uh, Okongwu mm-hmm. is great. Bogdanovich is great. Herder is Collins, really nice. Gallinari, Collins. Collins. Like yeah. they, they have such a good team. They have a lot. They, they should be, they should be way better than they are, but they aren't. And that's like, that's fine. But yeah, that team is really, really nice. And I would not want to play them in, you know, a one or two game elimination or something like that. That sounds like a, a horror show, but yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's, that's about where I am. Yeah, I think we're in a similar spot as far as what we might want or, or yeah. not want. I've completely done a 180 on Trey compared to this time last year. Like, I, I think his reputation, oh, just league-wide, because two years ago he was a starter. 
Last year, everybody started complaining about how many fouls he was drawing. Steve Nash, that's not basketball type of thing. People were like, oh, he's just a foul baiter, blah, blah, blah. He's going to struggle in the playoffs. In the playoffs, he basically becomes like Reggie Miller <laughs> in terms of like being a villain and just – and everybody loved that. And now I'll, everybody's a big fan of his game again. It's just kind of funny, like the ebbs and flows of, of uh, his popularity in his game. And it's just – He's really fun to watch. I think these are the 10 teams that are going to – like, I. Washington is falling apart. The Knicks, I mean, maybe they could go on a run. They had a similar record at this time last year, but I just I just don't see it. I feel like these are going to be the 10. Yeah, it's – yeah, I, th- I think I'm in a similar spot. Well, they, uh, they had a – like, Trey wasn't even an all-star last no. year. And that's because they were terrible before the all-star break. And then they made that coaching change and then they kind of started blowing up everybody and they, they won like a ton of games. And then obviously Trey just went berserk, especially in the, you know, against the first, against the Knicks in the first round. Do I think the Knicks will be there? Nah, I'm, I'm out on the Knicks. I still, I still like Randall. I think Randall had like an outlier year, obviously last year. And he's going to go through this a similar thing to Pascal, I think. Is I was that, just about to say that. You read my mind where it's just yeah. like, this, this, this feels like Pascal's... Randall right now is having Pascal's Tampa year in a sense where it's just like everybody's so down on him. I feel like he's going through like a very similar thing. Yeah. Where And the thumb, the thumbs down thing, he unfollowed the Knicks on Instagram. It's like everybody's reporting what he's doing now. It's just like, yeah. Kind of sucks. He was second team All NBA the last year, just like Pascal was the year before that. <laughs> it feels like storyline, like storyline wise, it feels like a lot of similarities. He had his, he had his brutal playoff. So it's kind of yeah, well, kind of interesting. Well, yeah, it's like, and also it was Julius Randle had an even better shooting year than Pascal did, but that shooting was never that like he's not that level of shooter, but he had that level of shooting year. And now he's going to have to readjust to being not that level of a shooter. And he's going to have to try and manipulate and negotiate defenses in a different way, using his rim pressure and his ability to pass at his size. And the only thing, the only drawback for Randall is that his defense will never be as good as Pascal's. No, but he's also Randall is a more prototypically skilled uh, offensive player than Pascal is like a Randall drive looks like, you know, it looks more like the stars of the past than a Pascal drive, but that, that doesn't mean effectiveness. That just means like people might be more willing to forgive him quicker if he stops shooting as many jumpers and starts just like rumbling to the, to the left side of the bucket. But yeah, Pascal is better than Randall, but Randall is much better than whatever he's been this year. So yeah, I, I, Randall's good, but I, I don't see it for the Knicks this year though. I totally agree with you there. Okay. Does that feel like a podcast? <laughs> we covered a lot. Yeah, we covered a lot. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? What, what the people should be reading, what they should be doing? Tell, the, tell them <laughs> what they should do, what they should do. <laughs> sure, I'll direct to. them. Um, Jamar, B-H-J-A-M-A-R-B-H. That's my Twitter handle. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, recaps for Raptors Republic. Just my thoughts on breaking down each game. Um, that's basically where you can find most of my stuff. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get it to your level in terms of breaking down plays. I'm learning a lot from you, even during this podcast, in terms of 
just all the different things the Raptors are doing. So, you know, this was, this was really fun. Yeah, man, it was a blast. Um, if I can say for the people, yes, make sure you follow Jamar on Twitter at Jamar BH. But uh, this is something I've said before and something I wholeheartedly believe is that when you're looking for media and when you're looking for people to cover the Raptors, yes, you're going to run into the day after like the, the Doug Smith or the Michael Grange piece and all that kind of stuff. And th- those guys might have some quotes that Raptors Republic guys don't. But I think Jamar is like the perfect um, embodiment of what Raptors Republic provides that other outlets don't. And I think Jamar is the best person doing it right now is that after a game, he will capture what the audience, what the fan base was thinking during that game. And he'll make sure to highlight and cover all the important aspects of the game. And in that way, I think that the way he's covered the team this year, the Raptors, his write-ups have been almost perfect because if you want to understand what happened in a game, on a level that like you're learning stuff and it's also accessible. I think that Jamar's write-ups have just been as good as it gets. So the guys at Raptors Republic, we don't get the quotes. We don't get the breaking news, but as far as understanding the game and appreciating it, I think we do. And I think Jamar's stuff has been just awesome. So follow him on Twitter make sure to read his stuff at Raptors Republic and Jamar. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Great time talking to you. I really appreciate, appreciate the kind words and everything. And we should do this again sometime. Hell, <laughs> hell yeah. Season. yeah. Maybe near the end of the season, going into a playoff matchup where we could kind of like break down more stuff. Sounds good to me, brother. Okay. Uh, listener, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, but whether you got into it in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>